Welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases with Pointy and the Moose. Today we have a good mate of ours, Dylan, who I've known for a very long time through Pointy, but Pointy, you've known a little bit longer. I've known Dylan since high school. I can't remember exactly when we started hanging out, but I think it probably would have been in year 10 or thereabouts. But yeah, we've been good friends for a long, long time now and shared a lot of good times together. And the topic we're here to discuss today is Weezer. But before we get into that, Dylan, how did you meet us? Hello. I met Moose through Pointy a number of years ago. It's a bit hazy. Do you remember why you met me? Because I've got no idea. I have no, no idea. idea. I think we met just randomly. I need to meet someone probably five or six times till I know who they are. Because <laughs> I, I usually meet someone and I'll be introduced to them and I just kind of think... um. I want to remember your name, but I'm not going to, so I'm not going to stress about forgetting your name because I'm never going to probably see you again. And then you see them enough times over five, six years, and I should probably learn your name. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> so now I know your name. It would be and... so much easier if people had name badges. Yeah. Yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> so I met, I remember you lent me the Benz by Radiohead. We started lending each other CDs. Um, this is Pointy I'm talking about. And we were both into rock music a lot, both liked UMI. And I remember I got into Weezer through, I, I think I, we all just heard Hash Pipe, probably on Rage. I think Hash Pipe was the song that really got me into them. I'd seen, I think everyone has seen Buddy Holly. Um, on their the, copy of Windows? Yeah, on Windows 95. <laughs> that had Buddy Holly on it in a really bad Avi format. I remember I got the Green album from my sister because she bought it and she didn't like it. She'd moved away to South Australia and she mailed it to me one day. It was uh, the Green album and something else. It was clearly the early days of the internet for someone to send a CD and not a download link. Yeah, that's right. I, I bet even today my sister probably has never sent a download link to anyone. I like that you're another person like me that really got into Weezer around the time of the Green Album, and I, I kind of went back. Like, I knew Buddy Holly, and I knew El Scorchio, but I didn't, like, I hadn't fully listened to the albums until I really got into the Green Album. Me too. I guess we got into, we got into Green and kind of went back. And Maladroit, I remember we were crazy on Maladroit when that came out. My memory of Hashpipe uh, is not from Rage, it's from Audio Galaxy. I remember it was at my parents' place because I was probably 15 or 16 uh, on the family computer. This was back in the days of dial-up and it maybe took 20 or 30 minutes for that song to come down, but I really liked oh, it. Dylan and I used to share a lot of songs through Audio Galaxy. That's probably how I got into maybe a third of the music that I like today based on stuff I got from Audio Galaxy. But yeah, that, that's sort of my memory and I'm the same as you guys. That's probably the time that I got into the band. I was aware of Weezer before that, but certainly wasn't a, a fan as such. From that, 
point. I think it's a really good point to discuss the general difference between fans who got into them around that time and fans who were into them right from when the first couple of records came out, that there is a general consensus in a certain group that everything after Pinkerton sucked. Yeah, um, you can't escape that. I used to be on the, the Weezer message boards back when everyone was doing the forum thing, and it, that was pretty much about half of it. People saying, the new stuff is shit, and then people saying, the new stuff's all right, give it a chance. But I like everything. I like everything that they've done. I like the Green album too, and being still my favourite Weezer album to this day, I kind of I, I don't understand the general divide, but... I guess it's I guess it's an ownership thing and when a band that has been away for a few years gets big and comes back with a new sound and a slightly different sound. A thing about the Green Album is it does kind of have its own sound. Mm. The whole album sounds the same. It's similar in that it's a rock album and River's kind of voice and style is is very consistent across all albums, but yet yeah, the whole album has a similar guitar sound, a similar vocal harmony sound, and in that way, it's consistent. I really like that. Yeah, I do like albums where everything sounds different, but I think with that one, they set up and recorded all the songs. Island in the Sun stands out, though. Yeah, it does. For me, for the Green album, I think the reason why I liked it so much was I was into a lot of heavy music at the time, and I don't mean heavy as in loud or dark, just sort of, I don't know, brooding or things that are a bit taxing to listen to if you're not in the right mood. And, I don't know, things like Tool, Radiohead, whilst they're both great bands, it's, you know, intellectual to some extent and sometimes a bit much if you just want to listen to something casually and have some fun. Mm. And having an album that went for 30-odd minutes and was just fun the whole way through was great. Tool especially, though. God, that can be taxing. That's great, but if you're not in the right mood... Yeah, well, that's one song for Tool, isn't it? (laughs) Why do you think it is that people don't like that second phase of Weezer? Some people. I have no idea. Um, Maybe the absence of Matt Sharp, Mm. because um, he really gave the early stuff with his backup vocals and stuff. He really made it kind of quirky. And I think with Weezer and their nerdy kind of image... I think a lot of it kind of came from him doing his, like, when you think of El Scorcho with his weird background vocals and stuff. And then it gets to green and the sort of goofiest thing on that album is probably... So that's probably, maybe they just took away the element that a lot of people fell in love with. But also with every band and every style of music, people like stuff when they're young. And then they get old and they don't like stuff as much anymore. And there was about a four-year difference between those albums as well. So that's a fair amount of time for someone who liked them when they were young to grow out of it. Plenty of time to grow up in four years and like some other stuff. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, if you got into the band around... Blue Album or Pinkerton and then had to wait five years, you could have been in seventh grade and finished school almost by that point. So when you think about the music that you got into around that time of your life, you wouldn't be waiting around that long for the next record from a band. I don't know, I'm still waiting around for some kind of one-hit wonder album bands to release another one. I would love another one by a few different bands. But Anyway, this is just a tangent. 
What were we talking about? That's fine. I think we were talking about. I think we were talking about Weezer. Yeah. We're talking about pop bands. That's a pop band. That's Weezer's a pop, a pop band. band. Weezer's a pop band. Not far away. I, I guess that's a point. So I mean, Weezer are a, essentially a power pop band. Yeah. And you know, I guess they were taking their cues from a lot of bands that I can think of, like you know, Big Star, The Cars, Cheap Trick. It's certainly got that sort of, you know, fun vibe to it. Definitely. I mean, certainly perhaps not on the earlier albums, but certainly later on they definitely embrace that. Especially the Cars. I mean, they did that, um, you might think, cover for the Cars 2 soundtrack, which is really good and is very much of that later really tight Weezer style, that really chunky kind of style rather than the nerd rock thing. It's funny that you mention older stuff being more like the Cars. Mm. when the first album was produced by Rick Akarsek yeah, and totally. Green. Well, it's funny that you point out that uh, the first record was produced by Rick Akarsek because... Mm. Uh, Is it Akarsek or I have no idea. Because I've heard both. We've always said Akarsek. Tomato, tomato. I'm sure he wouldn't care. Akarsek. He he's not going to hear this. Would he be just happy that he's being talked about in a podcast by the three of us in Australia? Because we're so young. <laughs> Last year on altpress.com, uh, they did announce that Weezer are recording their ninth studio album and Rick will also be right. producing That's that record. Insane. That's awesome. Wow, it's great that you've waited till now to tell me this. Yeah. <laughs> and along with that, they did say that there's also going to be some sort of greatest hits package that's released this year. Which I assume they'll do the traditional thing where there's at least one or two new songs on that disc. Well, they did that album of sort of outtakes and B-sides and rarities, so it's kind of natural that a Greatest Hits would follow. What did you think of that? Death to False Metal. Are you a fan? I really liked it. Yeah? I thought some of the stuff off there was great, and I really liked Autopilot. Like, that's a song that gets stuck in your head. If anybody is into the YouTube, this song, is it AM radio or is it Turn Up? Turn up the radio. I think it's turn, turn up, up the radio. Your radio. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, have, you, have you guys seen the YouTube series where Rivers wrote that song with input from fans on I YouTube have not. with his with his YouTube page? No. It's called "Let's Write a Song." S A W N G. Song. And there's something like 16 different videos that he put out. He said, "Okay, we're starting from scratch. There's 101 ways to write a song, and we're going to pick one." Um, Somebody pick a theme, and uh, I guess somebody wrote in 80s radio. He ran with that and had someone come up with a chord structure. Uh, someone chipped in some lyrics or some a verse or two. And there was just stage by stage, he put that song together. And the last video was him playing the song, and parts of it came from a guy. So parts of the guitars, or I don't know how much of the track, but... Some of that song, at least in the stage where it was sounding really, really good, was sent to him from one or two guys off YouTube. And the last video is him playing the song to Jackknife Lee in the studio. And Jackknife Lee kind of seems a bit apprehensive about that song because he says it's very joyous and it's hard to do joy in rock music. Oh, I really don't think that's an accurate statement. I think Weezer do it well. I think they do it so well. Anyway, uh, nothing happened to that song for at least two years, and then all of a sudden it was the first track on Death to False Metal, and I think it's the best song on it. I'm a Robot I really like as well. and That's a good one. I mean, it's it's a, it not... sounds nothing like Weezer. No, but it's like, I mean, that's the thing. That's why that album is what it is, a collection of B-sides and rarities and that, because none of them really sound like classic Weezer. 
and that's the reason they went on albums. Like, but it's still a great album. That's an interesting point around the fan interaction and fan contribution to the song because I think as early as Maladroit, the band were putting songs online and mm. trying to have people, uh, well, the fans pick what songs were going to end up on the album. Yeah. And I could be wrong, but I think the only song that, that made it on Maladroit that the fans picked was Slob. Yeah, definitely Slob. Which is a great song. And I have a fantastic memory of Dylan and I singing that at, at karaoke <laughs> at Newtown somewhere, possibly after we saw Billy Corgan. Those Album 5 demos, they were good good to listen to, but none, nothing really made the cut of the album except Slob. I don't think I've ever actually heard the demo of Slob, though. Well, the Album 5 demos were the make-believe demos. Really? Yeah, so there was something that we missed out on. Well, I do think that those demos, when they started doing that with Maladroit, I think, if I remember correctly, it was sort of a failed experiment because they only really got negative feedback. They put out how many songs? 50 songs or something like that, or 50 demos. Some of them were the same songs again. But they didn't really get anything all that positive. In Space Rock on Maladroit, some of the lyrics on that song, I think I read or I heard, are about Rivers sort of being frustrated with sort of trying to interact with the fans and not really getting much back from them. Well, that's not surprising to me, given what we've already discussed around a whole bunch of fans not being keen on the band post-Pinkerton. At 2002, 2001, it was probably the most hating time of the internet because it was in its infancy. It was a place where anyone thought they could say their two cents and have someone listen. When Maladroit came out, I, like, I loved the Green Album and I did not have much of an income at that point being quite young. And, and sent in an entry. I think the competition to win a copy of Maladroit at the time was like, give us your most creative explanation of what the word Maladroit means. And I was like, well... Do you remember what you wrote? Not a clue. I think something about a space monkey, but that was about it, really. Do you know what the actual definition is? Have you looked it up? No, do you? I remember someone saying... Hold on, wait a second. I don't know how, how correct this is, but I was on the Weezer message boards a lot back in those days, and somebody said on there that it was a French word that means something to the effect of sloppy or not well put together. That kind of makes sense. Pointy, are you looking it up? Okay, according to freedictionary.com, maladroit means an inept person or marked by a lack of adroitness. Inept. But apparently Space Monkey wins your CDs. Let's address the elephant in the room. Elephant! Oh, don't call me that. Seriously, I'm, I've been trying to work out. You I'm sorry. I can't say I'm a fan of every single album. I mean, there's there's songs that I love on every you album. You are a fan of every album. That's true. You've you can't never say those se- words, You've though. never not liked an album. He can't say those words, though. It's just impossible for him. I was just trying to be contradictory for a while. You're trying to be devil's advocate. Devil's yeah. advocate. But you love every track you've ever heard. I don't love every track I've ever heard. There's he a does. couple. He loves every track in general. There are some that I cringe to. What songs do you cringe to? I really don't like the album version of Can't Stop Partying actually, just because I love the demo so much. Right. I actually love that song. When I first put that on, I was listening to it in the dark on a little boombox while I was in bed about to go to sleep and that song started up and I knew the demo back to front. I'd... It was on the first Rivers Alone CD, and I knew it very well. 
And when that song started up, I could not get the smile off my face. I was just grinning like an idiot in the dark. I like that you're listening to a song called Can't Stop Partying when you're in bed and you're about to go to sleep. Yeah. And then they had Lil Wayne on the song too, which is it's goofy as hell. Yeah, that's the thing. For me, it was goofy as hell. And I did have the same reaction as Aaron is, oh, I don't know. But yeah, no, I guess goofy as hell is something you could always describe Rivers as. Well, I guess we're just back at the nerd rock topic that we brought up earlier. I guess that's kind of been the attraction to the band since day one. In a roundabout way, let's get back to the elephant in the room. Weezer not being here for like 16 years? Yeah, well, they toured, uh, I think, in support of Pinkerton in 1996 and then didn't come back till 2013 where they toured for the Blue Album and a bit of a Greatest Hits tour. And we were there for the tour. We were there. We saw the tour. I was blind drunk. I remember the gig had started and I didn't even notice. The song had, the first song had been going for 20 seconds oh. before I realised the gig has begun. This is real. I'm finally seeing Weezer. I went down with a mate of mine, Mitch, who you would have heard in the previous podcast about uh, Bruce Springsteen. I don't remember much about the getting to or getting from. I know we went to a pub for dinner beforehand, but... Uh, we did meet up with you guys when we got there, and Ballpark Music supported. They were excellent, and the excitement about seeing Weezer after waiting for that long being a fan was was pretty pretty high. Well, let's put it this way. I was in year seven when Pinkerton came out, was not really aware of the band, and I had to wait till 2013 when I was 28 to see them. That's a long time to wait to watch a band that you really like play. Did we ever get a reason why they took that long to come back? Anticipation. I don't know if anticipation is is a good reason not to come back. Like I, I feel like there's got to be some reason it took so long. How long is the flight? I just did that a couple of years ago. I think it was about 14 hours. It's longer it's, it's longer to the UK to Australia, I think, but it's definitely about 14 hours. Enough bands do it, though, for That's that true. To... You know, if we waited 16 years, they could wait. Is it 16 years? Yeah, yeah. about that. They could wait 14 hours on yeah. the plane. You know what? While we're talking about Weezer, we have a few bottles in front of us here, and they always have those trivia questions on the bottle caps. Yeah. And I remember a pointy years ago, we were saying that it's always sport, and we don't, we're not nuts on sport. Um, and we would always say, why isn't it music related questions on these bottle caps? And one day, I got the bottle cap that I had been waiting for for years, right? I look at this bottle cap and it's a Weezer-related question. And it says on it, in the song, Undone, the sweater song, how does Rivers Cuomo propose that you destroy his sweater? And my face lit up and, I go, and it's like the shit I've been waiting for forever. And I go, pull this thread as I walk away. And, and, our, and our friend Russell goes, oh, no, it's hold this thread as I walk away. So I'd been waiting my whole life for that, and then I completely ruined it. What a letdown. That's classic Russell as well. He's the silent assassin and the genius that no one realises is a genius. He's a great guy. I love Russell. 
We all love Russell. He's, he's one of my best friends. He's also one of my best friends. I love him more. I love him equally, so you don't love him more. We love him the same. We love him. Actually, Moose, I've just realised that Ryan Adams co-wrote Runaway on the Weezer album Hurley. I did not know that. Yeah, I'm a huge Ryan Adams fan, and I remember reading that around the time, and you can kind of hear in the style of it, in the style of guitar playing, it it oddly sounds like stuff off Love is Hell and um, Rock and Roll, the album as well. Like, the guitar playing very much sounds like Ryan Adams and the structure of the song as well, but I don't know, it's a cool little link. I love Ryan. So uh, let's draw this back in to, to Weezer. So Goat Punishment, what can you tell us about that, Dylan? Um, from what I remember, Goat Punishment was Weezer's sort of, not a side project, but uh, a thing that they would occasionally do. I don't know if they do it anymore. Do you know? Uh, I've read they haven't done Goat Punishment since 2001. Goat Punishment is Weezer under a different name when they would sort of do gigs, secret gigs, I guess, to try out new songs. Um, they, all, they, they had for their stage show a, a big GP that in lights that went up behind the, the stage, just like their big W. And I, I know they did at least one <laughs> gig, the big W. They, I know they did at least one gig where it was all Nirvana covers. So that would have been pretty sweet to be at that show and see Goat Punishment, a.k.a. Weezer, come out and, and play, you know, Drain You or Smells Like Teen Spirit or something. They definitely played Aneurysm and Drain You. Not sure about Smells Like Teen Spirit, but they also did a show where they did all Oasis covers, and I'm pretty sure it was all of Definitely Maybe, or at least most of Definitely Maybe. Wow, that would be a pretty cool show. I did read the other day um, Rivers contributing an article to some magazine uh, where he did cite Nirvana's influence on the band. Well, I guess they were both signed to Geffen in the early 90s. He never actually got to meet Kurt, and the closest he got was hearing In Utero kind of before it was really released. In Utero still. (laughs) In Utero when it was in Utero. But um, he felt such an affinity with the band but never really got to, um, to meet them. There used to be a website around probably about 2002 maybe and the website was Rivers Cuomo is Kurt Cobain. Oh, God. And it it had a a few little snippets of evidence like uh, Weezer appeared as soon as Nirvana went away. They were signed to the same label and it had these pictures of... Well, what uh, a coincidence. I mean, Beck was also Kurt Cobain apparently. Oh, God. Beck is a Scientologist. So he can be anyone he wants to be. He chose to be back. But um, it, it had a little photo on, on there of uh, Kurt Cobain wearing glasses right next to Rivers Cuomo wearing glasses, and there was an uncanny resemblance in the two pictures. Oh, glasses will do that, though. Anyway, I think it He's was... He's wearing the same glasses! I think it was meant to be satirical, but it, it amused me for a couple of minutes. A 
apart from the Weezer discography, there's a bunch of stuff that Rivers has done with other artists, and he doesn't really seem to be worried about in what style or what genre. He just seems to be happy to to be out and about. Yeah, um, I think Rivers has always secretly wanted to be a rapper or a pop star. Um, when Maladroit came out, he did the Mo Beats thing. Like, he was really trying to be a, a rap artist. He's done this song, Magic, with B.O.B. Do you know that one? Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. The Beast of Bourbon? You're a big, no, not the Beast of Bourbon. <laughs> uh, the, the rapper, rapper Bob. B.O.B., Bobby not, Ray. I've not heard of them. It's a guy. It's one Got guy. Magic and that, that song is produced by Dr. Luke, who has produced every pop song released in the last eight or nine years. Dr. Luke is great. Dr. Luke is killing it. He's, yeah. he's uh, if you don't know, he was the guitarist for this Saturday Night Live band for a couple of years. Yeah. Started making jams in his own studio and ended up just being like a monster of pop music. Everything he touches turns to gold. Ah, just like in the song, which is the hook to the song Magic, which which Rivers sings. Um, in you, Pointy, you haven't heard that song? No, not at all. So let's, let's think of what he's done over the years, because there's been loads. There was the stuff that he did with the guy from Crazy Town. Yeah, yeah, he really? guested on a Crazy Town track. Uh, Were was, they in, uh, like, the jungle or something? In the jungle? Oh, was that one of the, the actual songs? You're talking about the song? Yeah, the video. No, the song was Hurt You So Bad, and and it was just Rivers doing a guitar solo on the song, and it was a very simple kind of uh, green album era kind of guitar solo, which is basically the solo follows the vocal line of the chorus. Well... Crazy Town were around the time of the Green album, right? They, they were around sure that were. 2001 kind of era was, time. Yeah, it was the 2000s. So, yeah, and there was there was rumours of Rivers being on a Limp Biscuit track, but I don't know how true that was. But he's done so much stuff. Earthquakey People with Steve Aoki. Do you guys, have you heard that before? No. No, no it's really Educate. great. It's a really great dance track by Steve Aoki. Who's a you know a, a dance musician Okey and uh, Rivers yeah Rivers guests on the song and he kind of raps about um, it was kind of like when there, were, there was that earthquake I think in Japan and uh, I think um, proceeds from the song went to helping people out earthquakey people um, and it's about kind of you know rising up from adversity. I also have the Rivers Cuomo book. Have you guys read the book? No. no? Is this, what's, is what's this the, book? the uh is it like the Pinkerton Diaries? The Pinkerton or Diaries. Yeah. I was one of the first five hundred people. It's uh it's a book that Rivers put out where it's uh it's his diaries from before and after the Pinkerton era. And it's a bunch of scans of things that he did while he was in college. It's his it's his uh, diaries from the time and a little bit of sort of input from him about what he went through when he had that leg operation. He had his leg broken because he had one leg longer than the other. They broke his leg and put pins in it and stretched it and pulled it out. And for just months and months, it would have been the most agonizing thing ever for him. It's been a while since I read it, but there was a regular thing he had to do where he would have to grab his leg, which had been broken, 
and pull it and twist it around, which sounds like the most excruciating that thing. That sounds awful. Sounds like the most excruciating thing imaginable. And he had to do that regularly so that his leg wouldn't heal the wrong way. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, it's just as well he'd come off from the success of Unplugged in New York to deal with that. <laughs> He must have been able to afford the best of everything. Yeah, yeah, he really was killing it. But um, that's a really interesting book, and I was lucky to get it uh, on a pre-order, and I was one of the first 500 or something, so I got a signed poster by Rivers Cuomo. And it came with the disc. When you get to the very back of the book, it has the disc sort of plugged into the back cover of the book of Alone 3, which had the demos from Pinkerton... Uh, what Pinkerton was meant to be? It was meant to be the a space opera. It was meant to be a rock opera, and the demos on there, and some of them are pretty shit. They're not very listenable. But I mean, that's what demos are. They're not meant to be listenable. They're just meant to be structures of a song that may one day be recorded or not, or be on an album or not. And I think it is a very brave thing for someone to release an album of demos and bits and pieces you've recorded by yourself, especially if you're that high profile, like. You'd have to have had a successful album or two before you do that. Well, let's face it, we've got a lot to say on this subject. This artistic endeavour has many things that we've cut out that would be horrible to share as demos. Okay, so before we finish up, let's have a think about what we each think of every Weezer album. And let's start off with the Blue album. And I'll start with Moose. It was a fantastic introduction. Look, it's really tight. And to me, it feels very similar to the Green album in that it's consistent all the way through. It's power pop. It's great. Dylan? Well, I used to think that Surf Wax America was a stupid song, but now I think it's all right. That's the only thing you think about the record? No, I think the whole record is pretty good, but I think it's overrated, and I think their other albums are just as good. No, they're better. They're better. They're better. They're better. They're better. They're better. So you never get anywhere. You don't care if there's not there, but you know, and the other albums are better. I kind of agree that it's a bit sad to pigeonhole a band to their first record and think that that's the best thing they're ever going to do. That's pretty brutal. I don't think I don't think any of us here do pigeonhole them to that, though. No, no, I'm not suggesting that. I guess just in general, I, I feel that that's a bit of a harsh statement for they anyone didn't do to that bring to on. The Beatles, exactly, because they were pretty awful compared to what they brought out later. But uh, they were good jams originally. Yeah, yeah, they were great. I guess my feelings on the Blue Album is it's a formative album. It was obviously the best songs that they'd come up with at that point in time, and they made it a lot better on Pinkerton. When you record a first album, it's the best songs, yeah. As you said, the best songs you can come up with at the time. You've got your whole life to record that album, and then when you record a second album, you've got six months on tour to record something and write something. So speaking of that, Pinkerton. Yeah, look, I think it was both overrated and underrated. At the time, it was different, and people didn't like it, and Rivers went into hiding after that and didn't want to record anything, and... Everyone hated it. Now I feel it's incredibly overrated. It's like, oh, it's the underrated album, blah, blah, blah. We all love it. I think it's just a great Weezer album. It's good. It's different. It's cool. It's Weezer. Pinkerton. Uh, it's dirty. It's 
kind of, well, you can tell they produced it by themselves because it's, you know, it's not clean. It's, it's a mess of an album. It's got crazy background vocals on it that are just throwaway spur of the moment things that somehow lasted on the tracks till it got mixed down. And I think it's really good. And that's, that's like why everyone loves it. Yeah, well, for fear of sounding like I should be reviewing for Pitchfork, it's my favourite Weezer album. <laughs> and, and you know, and I think it's for the reasons that Dylan said, that it's got this, you know, dirty rock and roll sound. It's not polished. And it was not that I heard it at the time, but when you go back and listen to those early records, it's a surprise after listening to the Green and Blue album. Oh, yeah. It's not what you would have expected. And I think that's why I sort of latched onto it. I think we've already covered the Green Album pretty well from what we talked about earlier, so maybe we should just move straight back on to Maladroit. Maladroit was really tight. It was a really great record after the Green Album, and it was a little more serious than the Green Album. Like what Dylan said before about it being very samey, it was very light-hearted and great, though heavy. Yeah, I don't know. It was a good mix between Pinkerton and Green Album, I guess. Yeah, it was their heaviest album, and that was the climate at the time. New metal was the thing. Limp Biscuit and Corn were massive, and I think Weezer were kind of responding to that, trying to be heavy as well. With the Muppets, uh, well, that that one that is a great. Uh, I totally forgot about Keep Fishing. That's a great video. But maybe with the motorbikes on Dope Nose, you were referring to. Uh, the whole album it's their dirtiest, heaviest album, and it was like you know, new metal was the thing. Okay, so the next album is Make Believe. And that's probably the time where I started to not be into the band as much. Not because I didn't like them, but because I was listening to other stuff at the time. I was still very much a fan of what they were bringing out. But yeah, it probably just wasn't the time for me. I remember getting that album and loving it, to be honest. Like, I did kind of sense the tongue-in-cheekness of Beverly Hills and all that. But there were a few really great songs on that in terms of guitar harmonies, vocal leads. It's essentially kind of a dark pop album it's good yeah i'm a pretty big fan of make believe rick rubin produced that one but um i've heard that rick rubin doesn't really do much anymore when he's producing albums it's the name it's just the name yeah i read a thing from the guy from slipknot a few years ago that pretty much bashed rick rubin saying that he didn't do anything at all even though his name's on the album anyway i digress uh my memories of make believe are banging that at my 21st birthday um, and I took all my clothes off I got completely naked and some poor guy was asleep on the couch in, in my parents backyard and he opened his eyes and he saw my penis waggling in his face I and remember he, that. he looked up at me I wasn't that guy though yeah you weren't that guy <laughs> it, it was a friend of my brother's but he looked up at me he opened his eyes after dozing off and saw my penis waggling right in front of him and I said don't worry about me mate I'm just grabbing a beer and I got a beer out of the esky and I just stood naked for a while and then a week later at my brother's birthday I got naked again that's what I think of when I think make believe just being nude let's all close our eyes and make believe on that Next Weezer record was the Red Album. 
And the thing I remember at the Red Album was I was living out of home at that point and, uh, you know, got got into that record a little bit, mainly off the enthusiasm that Dylan had because I'd sort of listened to it a little bit but wasn't that crazy about it. But he sold me on it. So, yeah, had a lot of fun with that one. It took me a while to get into that album as well. I think half of that album is great. And weirdly, I really love Everybody Get Dangerous. Like, me I think too. I think that's me such too. a great song. It's so good. But half of the album, I think, takes this odd journey that, I don't know, it's just, I think it's a great album in general. Like, if it wasn't a Weezer album, it's a great album. But in terms of consistency, it's not all there. There's some great songs on Red Album. I agree. Everybody get dangerous. Everybody get dangerous. It's, it's um it's very teen spirit. That riff is very teen spirit. And you know what else is very teen spirit? Not on the red album, but on their on the most recent album, Unspoken. You listen to that song Unspoken, that is the recreation of Smells Like Teen Spirit when that riff kicks in. There's a lot of songs that go like that, but that's... Anyway, where were we? We're talking about the Red Album. Yeah, great album. Greatest Man That Ever Lived is like... It's sort of their masterpiece, I think, because they crammed so much different stuff into that one little song. And Everybody Gets Dangerous, that's like the song where if any other band did it, you would think they've taken my fandom as a joke. But when Weezer do a song like that, you kind of go, okay, that's pretty cool. That's Those two songs, when I think of the Red Album, that's what I think of. I guess we'll talk about Ratitude, which was the next record the, the band released. Probably one of the most catchiest songs that Weezer have ever brought out was on that album which was you know if you're wondering if i want you to i want you i to. want you to and that's probably like one of the most perfect pop songs i've ever heard oh very much so like that song is classic weezer yet classic pop song in general it's fantastic but i think the whole album is underrated in general i think that was the first album I'd loved, really loved since the Green album, like Girl Got Hot and In the Mall and I'm Your Daddy in general. I think that was like an incredibly well-written album, a great pop album, but a well-written album. Yeah, there's a really sweet video online of them doing I'm Your Daddy for a bunch of kids and their parents in the park. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's uh, one of those YouTube What's go shows. What's this YouTube you speak of? You, it's a thing YouTube. on the internet. Tube? They put their video... I don't know how it works. You type in the name of something and see what... And you click on stuff. Video? Yeah, it's really confusing. Don't worry about it. Internet? You just, you'll do your head in trying to figure that out. Computer? Yeah. Which album are we on? Ratitude. Ratitude is pretty good. I really think no. of the extra songs. When I think of her... Uh, Ratitude, I mean to say. I think of the... From the deluxe edition... The extra songs like uh, The Underdogs and Run Over by a Truck. Those are the songs that kind of come to mind and they're not even actually on the album. But there's tons of great stuff. You know the song Love is the Answer? Love is the Answer, yeah. You know Sugar Ray totally. recorded a version I of that? Sugar Ray version back to front. Was that before or after Weezer's version? I think it was after. Because I heard that way after Weezer's version and kind of went, huh? Yeah. Well, I guess he's friends with the Sugar Ray guy. I guess. One of the first ever live gigs I went to was live at the Entertainment Centre. 
and Sugar Ray supported. No way. And Sugar Ray supported Sugar Ray live. live. Yeah, and they were awful. But oh. also a band called Romana Stone, uh, who are, I think, a Sydney band, but they were definitely an Australian band. But uh, I guess we should move on to our Hurley. I don't really have a lot of thoughts on Hurley other than my uh, new informed opinion, which is it's a return to form. I was in Darwin when that came out, and Darwin was this odd time for me where I'd moved away from Newcastle and I was in a place where I really didn't know and I was discovering, and Hurley came out, and I don't know, I really liked that album, but weirdly my connection with it, again, in terms of Dylan's comments about the Red album, was the bonus tracks. The bonus track, All My Friends Are Insects, I really love. I think is one of their best songs their entire career. It's a song recorded for Yo Gabba Gabba where they're all dressed as insects inside a tree, but it's a really great pop song. And also, as we mentioned before, Ryan Adams, who I really love, co-wrote a song called Run Away on that album that I, like, I, I really love, and I think that album is just consistent and good and really well-written. Pretty much every song on that album is co-written with someone else. Not that there's a problem with that There's nothing all. wrong with that. I think it's cool that... At that stage, Rivers was okay with just collaborating on nearly every song on the album. The only song on the album that's not a collaboration is Unspoken, which is a great song. That might be a a subliminal collaboration with Kurt Cobain. They're the same person, though. Well, he... (laughs) Just add glasses! He's not the same guy. I'm I'm certain. Because I own... Paul the Pinkerton Diaries. So I know that there were stuff dead. went down, stuff went down before Kurt died. So he's definitely not the same guy. You know he's not. The, we it's, it doesn't even need to be said. Breaking news. What are you talking about? I'm like, I think Harley is great. Um, when I think of Harley, I think of train wrecks, which is really great. And I think of uh, Ruling Me, which really has the greatest chorus. When it just bangs in, you go, yeah, this is really, this really makes me feel good. Ruling Me and Trainwrecks are just really fucking great songs. They're really great songs in general. Like, they're, they're kind of great pop songs. And I think that's kind of Rivers embracing the fact that I don't think he needs to be that Pinkerton guy. I think he can just write what he wants and write really well-structured pop songs. I agree. I concur. Okay, let's put a pin in it. Thank you very much for everyone for listening. If you want to follow us, please check us out on facebook.com forward slash splitting cases and twitter.com forward slash splitting cases. The case has well and truly been split. Split.